Okay, brothers and sisters, uh, praise us feet to our loving Abba for gathering all of us together to study the words and commandments of our God. So we go back to our Bible history. We left off with the bronze serpent. If you still remember, about 38, 38 years later, the people of Israel get their second chance to enter the promised land. So they were tested. Unfortunately, they did not pass the test, but God is merciful and compassionate and so provides them with the opportunity to repent. God instructed Moses to create the bronze serpent, which we know by now was pointing forward to the ministry of Yahusha HaMashiach, Yahusha the Christ. As with many, many concepts in the Old Testament, it all really points to Yahusha, our king. So after that incident, after they repent to Yahuwah God, God blesses them with his fellowship, in fact, because God was with them, Yahuwah provides them with military victories, one after the other. And so after succeeding in these military victories on their way to conquer the promised land, where did they find themselves settling in? Let's begin our studies here in the book of Numbers, chapter 22. So we are in Numbers 22. Today we'll cover chapter 22 chapter 23, and chapter 24. Three chapters for our study today. So let's go ahead and get into Numbers 22 and the verses 1. Then the people of Israel traveled to the plains of Moab and camped east of the Jordan River across from Jericho. So now they find themselves in the plains of Moab. Remember, they just came from a victory over the Amorites. The Amorites, you can see at the right-hand corner, and so they settle in the plains of Moab, and so they're going to be dealing now with the Moabites. The people in Moab, especially their leader, their king, because they saw what the people of Israel were able to do against the Amorites, what happens next? Numbers 22, 2-4, to four, Balak, son of Zippor, the Moabite king, had seen everything. The Israelites did to the Amorites. And when the people of Moab saw how many Israelites there were, they were terrified. The king of Moab said to the elders of Midian, this mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. And so there in Moab, we have the king, the Moabite king. What is his name? Balak, not Balaam. Sometimes we confuse the two, right? Balak is the king. So the king of Moab was very concerned. In fact, we should not use the word concerned. They were outright terrified. Why? Because they saw what the Israelites were able to do with the Amorites. And so he consulted with the Midianites. He had alliances formed with the Midianites because he believed, he knew they had no chance against the Israelite nation. Look at what they said about the people of Israel. This mob will devour everything in sight like an ox devours grass in the field. So they were terrified with what the people of Israel were about to do. They were on their way to defeat any adversary that comes in their way. And so what did they decide to do? What did Balak decide to do? Because he knew he was outnumbered, outgunned. There was no way he can win militarily against the people of Israel. And so what did he notice and what did he do or strategize? 22, 
five down to six. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor near the Euphrates River. His message said, look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Please come and curse these people for me because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I will be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on people you curse. And so the king of Moab, Balak, recognizing that he was inferior military-wise, power-wise, against the people of Israel, noticed that what was behind the success of the people of Israel was not really military. It was what? Spiritual. And so he was thinking spiritually according to what he knew. And so what did he decide to do? This is not going to be won militarily. This is going to be won when we delve into the area of the spirit. Because back then, many of the ancient people delved into the occult, black magic and sorcery and diviners. And so this Balak, according to what he understood about the spiritual realm, he wanted to hire someone that could weaken the people of Israel spiritually so that he can defeat them militarily. And so what did he do? He hired the uh, someone who is a sorcerer, a diviner. His name is Balaam. Where is Balaam from? The land of Pethor near the Euphrates River. And so he wants to hire Balaam so that he can curse the people of Israel so that they will no longer have the same power. And so the king of Moab would be able to defeat them. And so this Balaam is from Pethor and Euphrates River. Where exactly is this place located? Well, when it comes to many ancient lands, we don't really know. We can guess, right? And so if, for example, we go to the Euphrates Valley near the Euphrates River, as some archeologists did, they found a city called Mari, Mari. And there, there are many who believe that Pethor, right? The land of Pethor is somewhere there in Mari. And excavations were made, the cities were located and some of the walls that they found. But more importantly, what they also excavated was this cuneiform tablet. And in the cuneiform tablet that they found, it revealed a cult of prophets and seers, including the complex practices that resemble that of Balaam. So it was a common practice during the ancient times, during the days of Moses, if you still remember, Pharaoh's magicians, it was a common practice to delve into the occult and to use two different kinds of powers in order to subdue a nation. What are they? Divination and incantation. So these prophets and seers delving into black magic and sorcery, they practice two certain fields, divination, incantation. What's divination? Receiving hidden knowledge, especially about the future. Incantation, the use of occult power to grant blessing or 
cursing. So this is what Balaam was practicing, divination, incantation, and he was hired by Balak because apparently he was very effective and he was known for his ability to curse and bless nations. And in fact, because of the king's recognition of this ability of Balaam, what did he offer him? Numbers 22 verse 7. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian uh, departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And so they sent a group of elders from Moab and a group of elders from Midian. And these are high-ranking officials. So an entourage came to meet Balaam. And so Balaam apparently felt that he was needed, that he was highly prized and coveted. It kind of stroked his ego. He likes that. And he was also offered the diviner's fee. Because back then, a diviner was hired to pronounce a curse or a blessing against a certain nation that they were dealing with. And so this Balak, this king of Moab, saw something in Balaam. In fact, he would not have summoned for him. He would not have sent an entourage to him unless he really believed that he could help. Because after all, he lived far, far away from where the Moabites were residing. So when the entourage that was sent by the Moabites and the Midianites arrived there at Balaam, what happened? Verse 8, stay here overnight, Balaam said. In the morning, I will tell you whatever Yahuwah directs me to say. So the officials from Moab stayed there with Balaam. This is very interesting, right? Because here comes the high-ranking officials of Moab and Midian. And they were telling Balaam, Balaam, you have to curse the people of Israel. Did Balaam know the people of Israel? Yes. Did Balaam know Yahuwah God? Yes, because after all, Balaam, to practice his craft, he needs to know every nation because he is to be hired by these nations and also the God that was worshipped by those nations. So he knew Molech, he knew, Bala, he knew uh, Baal, so on and so forth. However, he was afraid of the one and only true God. Who was that? Yahuwah. By this time, Yahuwah God was making a name for himself. Ever since the people of Israel were set free from Egypt, the name of Yahuwah is becoming more and more famous. And this Balaam, he's heard about Yahuwah. And he approaches this with a lot of caution. And so he tells uh, the entourage, the high-ranking officials, okay, stay here overnight. I'm going to consult with Yahuwah, God. So he recognizes that Israel is covered by the power and protection of God himself. And so he says he will ask him. So at that night, what happened? At 22, 9 to 12, that night God came to Balaam and asked him, who are these men visiting you? Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent me this message. Look, a vast horde of people has arrived from Egypt. 
and they cover the face of the earth. Come and curse these people for me. Then perhaps I will be able to stand up to them and drive them from the land. But God told Balaam, do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been blessed. And so when Balak or when Balaam tells the people, I'm going to consult with Yahuwah God, that night God visited Balaam. Now you might be saying, why would God visit him? He doesn't even belong to the people of Israel. Here's my answer. God can do whatever he wants, right? God visited people in the past, like Pharaoh during the days of Abraham, Abimelech during the days of Abraham, right? Because God is sovereign. He can do whatever he wants. And so he decides to communicate with Balaam. And he asks the king of Moab, who are these men visiting you? Now, we already know when God asks questions, because he does, he, it's not because he doesn't know. It's because he wants you to tell the truth, right? And so here's Bala, Balaam, and he's telling God, okay, this guy, king of Moab, wants me to curse the people of Israel. And what was the response of Yahuwah God to him? God says to Balaam, do not go with them. You are not to curse these people, for they have been Blessed. Is the answer of God clear? Very clear, right? Do not go with them. There's no other way to interpret that. It is very clear. Do not go with them because they cannot be cursed. Yahuwah God has blessed them himself. And so what does Balaam say to Balak? Let's read Numbers 22, 13 to 15. The next morning, Balaam got up and told Balak's officials, uh, go on home. Yahuwah will not let me go with you. So the, the Moabite officials returned to King Balak and reported Balaam refused to come with us. Then Balak tried. What does it say? He doesn't give up, does he? He tries again. This time he sent a larger number of even more distinguished officials than those he had sent the first time. And so when Balaam tells the officials of Balak that he cannot curse the people of Israel, so just go home. After Balak receives this news, he doesn't give up. He tries again. This time he says, this time he does, what he does is to send a larger number of even more distinguished officials. Apparently, this is what really tickles his fancy, right? He knows how to influence Balaam. He likes this when you send official, uh, very important people to try and convince him. And so there was, this was a great honor for Balaam. And so he doesn't give up. He keeps trying. And so what does Balaam do when he found out that Balak is offering something else? Well, this is what he says in Numbers 22, 16 and 17. They went to Balaam and delivered this message to him. This is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Please don't let anything stop you from coming to help me. I will pay you very well and do whatever you tell me. Just come and curse these people for me. And so Balak really wants the people of Israel to be cursed. And so he tells Balaam, look, I'm sending all these higher ranking officials to show you that you are important. Number two, I'm going to pay you very well. And number three, I will do whatever you 
Tell me, can you, can you imagine what honor that means? The king himself will do whatever Balaam will say to him. And so what is the response of Balaam? Let's read Numbers 22, 18 to 19. But Balaam responded to Balak's messengers, even if Balak were to give me his, to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of Yahuwah my God. But stay here one more night, and I will see if Yahuwah has anything else to say to me. Here's my question for you. Do you think Balaam is interested in the silver and gold? What do you think? Do you think he's interested in what Bala can offer him as payment? I think so. Remember it was made very clear what Yahuwah God wants, right? Do not go with these men. Do not curse Israel because I have blessed the people of Israel. It was clear. The will of God was very clear. But look at Balaam. He was compromising, wasn't he? What does he say to the, high, the, to the officials of uh, Moab? He says, stay here one more night, and I will see if Yahuwah has anything else to say to me. In other words, he was thinking he can convince Yahuwah God to curse his people, right? And so he could not fully accept the will of God because he was motivated by something else. What was he motivated by? He was motivated by the silver, by the gold by the money and the wealth he is to receive. And unfortunately, a lot of people, when they approach God, I'm talking about people who believe in God, people in Christianity and practice biblical principles, right? They often pray to God, right? We all pray to God. For example, this year, 2021, perhaps we had some New Year's resolutions, plans and goals that we have, ambitions that we have. And we often go to God and say to God, Lord God, this is what I want. Can you bless it? This is how a lot of people approach God, right? This is my will, Father. Please bless it. In many ways, that is also the method used by Balaam, right? He already knows the will of God, but he has his own personal will, and he wants to make God change his mind. Can you just bless it? This is my will, Father. Bless it. That's not a good way to approach God. What's the best way to approach God? In our life, in Proverbs 3, 5 to 7, trust in Yahuwah with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear Yahuwah and shun evil. Instead of going to God and saying to God, Father, this is my will. Can you bless it? I think the better thing to do is, Father, what is your will? I want to follow it. Acknowledge God in all our ways. And when God tells us his will, we should obey. Why? Because we need to trust God with all of our hearts. If we do that, if this is the practice of our life, we go to God and say to God, Father, show me your will and give me the knowledge to be able to fulfill it. The Bible says, then Yahuwah will make our path straight. Balaam's path is not going to be straight because he has compromised the will of God. He already knew the will of God, but he wants to convince God 
to let him go through with it nonetheless. And so what does God decide to do? Let's read Numbers 22 verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them. But only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. Look at that. Apparently God has something planned. Because Balaam, knowing his heart, right? He knows Balaam's heart. He knows his motivation. He's going to use Balaam. And he's going to use Balak so that his purpose will be fulfilled. You'll find that out later on, what exactly that purpose is. And it might shock you. And so we have here God saying to Balaam, okay, if you don't want my will, have it your way. So if the men come back to call you, go ahead, go with them. And so what happens the following morning? 21. So the next morning, Balaam got up, saddled his donkey, and started off with the Moabite officials. And so as soon as Balaam receives instruction from Yahuwah God the night before, the following morning, what does he do right away? He gets up, saddles his donkey, and he goes to meet with the Moabite officials. But that's not the instruction of Yahuwah. He had to wait first. For the Moabite officials to call him. To get him. But he did not do that. He got up and he saddled his donkey. And he went straight towards to meet with the Moabite officials. And so what happened because of this. But God was angry that Balaam was going. So he sent the angel of Yahuwah to stand in the road to block his way. And so Yahuwah God did not approve of what he was doing. He was supposed to wait. But he went ahead and went to go meet with the officials anyways. And so God is angry. And so what does God do? He sends an angel of Yahuwah to stand in the road to block his way. As Balaam and two servants were riding along, Balaam's donkey saw the angel of Yahuwah standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolted off the road into a field, but Balaam beat it, and turned it back onto the road. Then the angel of Yahuwah stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw the angel of Yahuwah, it tried to squeeze by and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of Yahuwah moved farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam in a fit of rage. Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Poor donkey, right? And so here's Balaam, very excited because he's gonna get paid. <laughs> That's what he thinks, right? And so he gets up and he's, he's on his donkey on his way to meet with these officials. Yahuwah God doesn't approve. And so what does he do? He hinders Balaam. You know, brethren, when Yahuwah God wants us, when he, sometime when we are against, we're not doing the will of God, there are times when Yahuwah God will hinder us from doing that, right? This is why we need to be able to read the circumstances in our life. 
Where is God hindering us? It could be that in this area or in this work, he is hindering us. And so we need to be mindful of that. Here, he was hindering um, the progress of Balaam. What does Yahuwah God do? He sends an angel. An angel that could only be seen by the donkey. And so the donkey can see something that Balaam could not see, right? I wonder why Balaam could not see this donkey. Because just like with many people, when you are so in love with material things, you're not interested anymore in spiritual things. It's the same thing with human beings. When a person is not interested in Yahuwah's will, he will be spiritually dull. He will not be able to see the movement of the spirit. He will not be able to see the will of God. It's the same thing with Balaam. All he can see was silver and gold. That he could not see the work of Yahuwah God. And so here's his donkey. He was riding on a donkey. But this donkey can see this angel of the Lord. This uh, angel of Yahuwah. And so what happens? Well, when he's afraid of the angel. And so he wants to go back. Right? When he saw the, the, uh, the uh, drawn sword in his hand. The donkey bolts off the road into a field. And what did Balaam do? He beat it. And then... The donkey went on the donkey again. The donkey continued to move. This time they went in, into a, a narrow place in between two walls. And it becomes more and more narrow. And each time the donkey stops moving, what happens to the donkey? It gets beaten. And it's interesting because it is obvious that the donkey did not behave like this before, right? What does this tell you? It should tell a, ba a Balaam that there's something hindering him, but he could not see that the one hindering him was Yahuwah God himself. And so he beats the poor donkey. You see, Balaam could not see what the donkey was seeing. The donkey was seeing the work of Yahuwah God. And so we can say the donkey was more spiritually discerning than Balaam. And unfortunately, even we as a people, when we become overtaken by power and greed and material things, we too will be worse than a donkey. You believe that? We will not be able to recognize our creator anymore. As a matter of fact, this is what Yahuwah God says about his people. For example, Let's digress just a little bit before we get back to the story. In Isaiah 1, 2 down to 4, this is what Yahuwah God says concerning his people, his nation. Listen, O heavens, pay attention, earth. This is what Yahuwah says. The children I raised and cared for have rebelled against me. Even an ox knows its owner, and a donkey recognizes its master's care. But Israel doesn't know its master. My people don't recognize my care for them. Oh, what a sinful nation they are, loaded down with the burden of guilt. They are evil people, corrupt children who have rejected Yahuwah. They have despised the Holy One of Israel and turned their backs on him. You see, when a person is so engrossed with their achievements, their power, their glory, material things, who do they forget? They forget their God. This is called the temptation of prosperity. 
the delusion of prosperity. When prosperity makes you begin to think that you no longer need God. And so God is looking at Israel. When you have been prospered, you were like children I raised and cared for. Now that you have prospered, you have rebelled against me. Now you can no longer see what even a donkey can see. Do you see that? And this happens all the time. This happened to the people of Israel. As a matter of fact. Because they no longer pay proper respect and reverence for Yahuwah God. This people, what did they do? They became corrupt. They have rejected Yahuwah in idolatry. Is this happening now? It's always happening. As a matter of fact, because of this, what eventually happened to the daughter of Zion? We read 2 to 4. Let's read what it says in 8 to 9. So the daughter of Zion is left as a booth in the vineyard, as a hut in the garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city, unless Yahuwah of hosts had left to us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. It's the pattern, the same pattern again and again. The very people whom God cares for, when they begin to prosper, they begin to think they don't need God anymore. And so they no longer discern his movements. They no longer discern his spirit. And they become even worse than a donkey. The donkey can even see Yahuwah God. But these people who are so engrossed with their own achievements and glory, they cannot see Yahuwah God. That's the problem with Balaam. He cannot see Yahuwah God's movements and his will. And so... To get Balaam's attention, do you know what God does? Very interesting here. Numbers 22, 28, 30. Then Yahuwah gave the donkey the ability to speak. Wow, a talking donkey. I think they made a show out of that, right? Mr. Ed? Remember that story? Mr. Ed? Or maybe that was a horse. <laughs> that was a talking horse. That was a talking donkey. How about Flipper? I was a talking Dolphin. Dolphin, right? No, but this is something different. Donkey was given the ability to speak. And I want you to look at this conversation between the donkey and Balaam because it tells us a lot of things. Look at this. What have I done to you that deserves your, that deserves your beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me look like a fool, Balaam shouted. If I had a sword with me, I would kill you. But I am a, and this is what the donkey says. Take a look. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. That's a powerful statement. Do you know what that means? The donkey is trying to tell Balaam what's happening now is not normal. Because what's happening now is Yahuwah God is hindering you. But you cannot yet see it. But you know what's unusual in this event? You know what's unusual in this event? If you were Balaam and all of a sudden your dog starts talking to you, what would you do? Have a conversation with your dog? <laughs> your pet starts talking to you. Your fish starts talking to you. What would you do? You'd probably run away, right? But Balaam, he's not even surprised. He has a conversation with his donkey he even debates with his donkey of course he loses the debate right he debates with his donkey this tells us something what is that 
Balaam probably experienced talking animals before. Why? Because he delves into black magic and the occult. Evil spirits, they take over the bodies of animals. Look at Satan. He took over what? A serpent, a snake, right? Yahusha, when he cast out evil spirits, where did they go to? The pigs, the poor pigs, right? So perhaps the reason why Balaam was not surprised at all and engaged in conversation with his talking donkey was because he had prior experience because of his delving into black magic and the occult. And so finally, what does Yahuwah God do? Then Yahuwah opened Balaam's eyes because he was very stubborn. He was very dull spiritually. And so Yahuwah had to do something. Yahuwah opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of Yahuwah standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of Yahuwah demanded. Look, I have come to block your way because you were stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and shied away. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. And so when he was having a conversation with the donkey, he still could not get it. That he was being hindered by Yahuwah himself. You see how spiritually dull he was? Because his focus was on what? The wages, the money. That's the way people are. Because they're so focused on material things, they forget about the spiritual things. They forget Yahuwah God is guiding them. And that's, that's a shame. Because Yahuwah God guides us all the time. We just need to be alert and perceptive of him guiding us in our life. So finally, Yahuwah removes the blinders on his eyes. And he's able to at last see the angel of Yahuwah. When he realizes Yahuwah God was hindering him, what did he do? In Numbers 22, then Balaam confessed to the angel of Yahuwah, I have sin. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. But the angel of Yahuwah told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam went on with Balak's officials. So finally, he realizes that he sinned. <laughs> Yahuwah God was the one hindering him. And so he confesses and he says to the angel of Yahuwah do you want me to go back and then his probably his eyes lit up no go with these men Yahuwah is up to something right Yahuwah tells him Yahuwah tells him go with these men but only say what I tell you to say okay and so Balaam goes to meet with Balak. Balak and Balaam are going to meet face to face at last. What happens next? 36 to 41. Now when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border at the Arnon, the boundary of the territory. I want to pause there for a while. Who was excited here? Balak. He wants to get this done right away. He wants to get it done swiftly. He doesn't want to postpone, procrastinate. He wants to get it done now. And so when he heard Balak was coming, he went, he left, and he went out to meet him at the city of Moab. 
right? Then Balak said to Balaam, did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? And Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak and they came at Kirjat Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep. And he sent some to Balaam and to the princes who were with him. So it was the next day that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. That from there he might observe the extent of the people. And so apparently Balaam was not too excited with meeting with Balak because he knows he's limited in what he can say, right? He's only supposed to say what Yahuwah God places in his mouth. Nevertheless, Balak is still interested in his services. And so what does, what do they do? Balak offered oxen and sheep and he sent some. And I believe what he sent were the entrails, the guts, because back then the practice of predicting or divination and incantation involved the guts of animals. <laughs> kind of weird, right? But if you are to look at some of the oracles in Egypt, you, you'll find a pagan nations who were practicing divination always involved the, the guts of the animals. And so maybe when it says here, he sent some to Balaam, I believe they were the, the entrails of the animal. And so they went to the high places of Baal, and there, what was Balak expecting from Balaam? To curse the people of Israel, right? So what happens? 23, 1 to 3. Then Balaam said to King Balak, build me seven altars here and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. Take note, this was not authorized by Yehovah God. He's taking action with, on himself. Balak followed his instructions and the two of them sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand here by your burnt offerings, and I will go to see if Yahuwah will respond to me. And I will tell you whatever he reveals to me. So Balaam went alone to the top of a bare hill. And so when he went to the top of a bare hill to receive the instructions of Yahuwah, what does Yahuwah God say to him? And God met him there. Balaam said to him, I have prepared uh, seven altars and have sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. Yahuwah, God, Yahuwah gave Balaam a message for King Balak. Then he said, go back to Balak and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. And so at last, here's Balak, very excited because finally Balaam is going to do what he's being paid for, to curse the people of Israel. And so when Balaam meets with Balak, what is the message? What is that incantation? Let's read Numbers 23, 7 to 10. This was the message Balaam delivered. Balak summoned me to come from Aram. The king of Moab brought me from the eastern hills. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom Yahuwah has not condemned? I see them from the cliff tops. I watch them from the hills. 
I see a people who live by themselves, set apart from other nations, who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as dust, who can count even the fourth of Israel's people. Let me die like the righteous. Let my life end like theirs. And so what was Balak expecting? He was expecting for Balaam to curse Israel, right? But of course, what he spoke, what Balaam spoke, was only what God feeds in his mouth. And so what comes out of the mouth of Balaam? Basically, he's telling Balak, he's the one listening, right? He's telling Balak, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I condemn those whom Yahuwah has not condemned? And so his message, what came out of his mouth, was to tell Balak, look, I cannot curse those whom God has not cursed. I cannot condemn those whom God has not condemned. And so what did Balak, what was his response? Balak, 11 to 12. Then King Balak demanded of Balaam, what have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. Instead, you have blessed them. But Balaam replied, I will speak only the message that Yahuwah puts in my mouth. But, you know, King Balak, he doesn't give up. <laughs> what does he do? 7, 13 and 17. Then King Balak told him, come with me to another place. There you will see another part of the nation of Israel, but not all of them. Curse at least that many. You see something about Balak? He's very persistent, do you think? Right? He's very persistent. And he's looking for opportunities to curse Israel. That's why he took Balaam to another place. Look at the Israelites from here. You can see just a portion of them. Maybe just curse just this part, right? He's really wanting them to curse. So Balak took Balaam to the plateau of Zophim on Pisgah Peak. He built seven altars there and offered a young bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to the king, stand here by your burnt offerings while I go over there to meet Yahuwah. And Yahuwah met Balaam and gave him the message. Then he said, go back to Balak and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. What did Yahuwah say? Balak asked eagerly. So he's thinking, maybe I can get away with this one. We'll just curse maybe a at least this part of Israel. And so what was the second message of Balaam? 18 and 24. Then he honored his oracle. Arise, Balak, and listen. Hear me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have received the command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. No misfortune is seen in Jacob. No misery observed in Israel. Yahuwah their God is with them. The shout of the king is among them. God brought them out of Egypt. And they have the strength of a wild ox. There is no sorcery against Jacob. No divination against Israel. I will now be, I will now be said. It will now be said of Jacob and of Israel. See what God has done. The people rise like a lioness. They rouse themselves like a lion that goes not that does not rest till he devours his prey and drinks the blood of his victims. And so the second message, Balak is hoping that Balaam would curse Israel. Instead, what comes out of the mouth 
of Balaam. He says, God is not a man that he will change his mind. I have received no command to, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot change it. And so not only does Balaam say that Israel cannot be cursed. Now he is saying that Israel is blessed. So it's backfiring on him, right? And so what was the response of uh, Balak? You can imagine he's really upset by now, 25, 26. And Balak said to Balaam, fine, but if you won't curse them, at least don't bless them. <laughs> but Balaam replied to Balak, didn't I tell you that I can do only what Yahuwah tells me? But you know, Balak doesn't give up. <laughs> So what does he do next? 27 to 30. Then King Balak said to Balaam, come, I will take you to, un, to one more place. Perhaps it will please God to let you curse them from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Mount Peor, overlooking the wasteland. Balaam uh, again told Balak, build me seven altars and prepare seven young bulls and seven rams for me to sacrifice. So Balak did as Balaam ordered and offered a young bull and a ram on each altar. And so what happens next? Maybe, maybe Balaam will relent and he will actually curse the people of Israel. But this time, there is some kind of change that happens with Balaam. What is that? 24, 1 and 2. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased Yahuwah to bless Israel, he did not resort to sorcery as at other times, but turned his face toward the desert when Balaam looked out and saw Israel encamped tribe by tribe, the Spirit of God came upon him. And so when he was on that mountain and he looked at the people of Israel, remember how remember the formation of Israel? Tribe by tribe, Spirit of God came over him. And because the Spirit of God came over him, what was he able to see? Let's keep reading. Three to nine, and he uttered his oracle, the oracle of Balaam, son of Beor, the oracle of one whose eye sees clearly, the oracle of one who hears the words of God, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who falls prostrate and whose eyes are open. How beautiful are your tents, O Jacob, your dwelling places, O Israel. Like valleys, they spread out, like gardens beside a river like aloes planted by Yahuwah, like cedars besides the waters. Water will flow from their buckets. Their seeds will have abundant water. Their king will be greater than Agag. Their kingdom will be exalted. God brought them out of Egypt. They have the strength of a wild ox. They devour hostile nations and break their bones in pieces. With their arrows, they pierce them. Like a lion, they crouch and lie down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse them. May those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. And so when Balaam was inspired by the Spirit of God, when he saw the camp of Israel, he said he sees a vision from the Almighty. And in this vision of the Almighty, he sees Israel becoming a kingdom that will triumph. We all know what he saw, right? We talked about this before. But remember, Balak is, is expecting for Balaam to curse 
Israel. The first attempt, well, Balaam says, no, you cannot curse Israel. The next attempt, Balaam says, Israel is blessed. This time, the third attempt, look at, what, look at the bottom. It says, may those who bless you be blessed and those who curse you be cursed. This attempt, Balak ends up being cursed. You see how it keeps getting worse and worse for Balak in his attempt to curse the people of God, the people of Israel. And so this time, what does Balak finally do? 10 to 13, King Balak flew into a rage against Balaam. He angrily clapped his hand and shouted, I called you to curse my enemies and said, you have blessed them three times. Now get out of here. Go back home. I promise to reward you richly, but Yahuwah has kept you from your reward. Balaam told Balak, don't you remember what I told your messengers? I said, even if Balak were to give me his palace filled with silver and gold, I would be powerless to do anything against the will of Yahuwah. I told you that I could say only what Yahuwah says. You see, Yahuwah is sovereign and he's in control of the situation. He took over. Yahuwah was using Balak, Balaam as instruments to fulfill his purpose now. Later on, we'll find out what that purpose is. But Numbers 24, 14, before Bala, before Balaam, evidently he's pretty sad and upset because he doesn't get paid, right? He goes through all this and he doesn't get paid. So he's going to go back home. But before he goes back home, before he returns to his people, there's one more thing he wants to do. What is that? 14. Now I am returning to my own people. But first, let me tell you what the Israelites will do to your people in the future. Oh boy, what is that? Let's read 15 to 19. This is the message Balaam delivered. This is the message of Balaam, son of Beor. The message of the man whose eyes see clearly. The message of the one who hears the words of God, who has knowledge from the Most High, who sees a vision from the Almighty, who bows down with his eyes wide open. I see him, but not here and now. I perceive him, but far in the, but far in the distant future. A star will rise from Jacob, a scepter will emerge from Israel. It will crush the foreheads of Moab's people, cracking the skulls of the people of Sheph. Edom will be taken over and Seir, its enemy, will be conquered while Israel marches on in triumph. A ruler will rise in Jacob who will destroy the survivors of here. And so you kind of feel for Balak. I mean, this all started because he wanted to curse Israel. Now he's getting his final message and he's, Balaam is telling Balak, that this is what's going to happen. Israel will march on in triumph and will eventually crush the foreheads of Moab's people. Not only that, in 2025, then Balaam looked over toward the people of Amalek and delivered his message. Amalek was the greatest of nations, but its destiny is destruction. Then he looked over toward the Kenites and delivered his message. Your home is secure. Your nest is set in the rocks. But the Kenites will be destroyed when Assyria takes you captive. Balaam concludes his message by saying, Alas, who can survive unless God has willed it? Ships will come from the coast of Cyprus. They will oppress Assyria and afflict Eber. But they too will be utterly destroyed. Then Balaam and Balak return to their homes. Not only will Israel triumph, these nations will fall. 
the Amalekites, the Kenites, and Israel will eventually triumph. And so his final message is basically, God is in charge, right? Who can survive unless God has willed it? Brothers and sisters, there's something we have to learn. You see, every event on planet Earth today happens only if it is approved and permitted by God. There are good things that happen. There are bad things that happen. But everything that happens was approved by God. Does it mean everything is God's desired will? No. He lets people play out their roles, whatever they want to do, according to their freedom of choice. But still, God is able to control all things, as we saw today. Right? He gave Balaam freedom, the freedom to choose. He chose to go with those men. And so God used that as an instrument. And so God uses everything and everyone he needs because he's a sovereign God. And what he will do is carry out his purpose. This is why, brethren, if God is on our side, just like what Apostle Paul says, if God is with you, what does it say? Who can be against us? Right? If God is with us, who can be against us? That's what Balak and Balaam learned. And so they returned to their homes. But when we look at this story, there's so much we can pick up, right? There's so much we can learn. For example, what can we learn from Balaam? Well, Apostle Peter learned this in 2 Peter 2, 15 and 16. They have wandered off the right road, followed the footsteps of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved to earn money by doing wrong. But Balaam was stopped from his mad course when his donkey rebuked him with a human voice. What can we learn from Balaam? We should be wary of loving money or earning money by doing wrong. This is why there's always this, this if you still remember, in the passage of scripture, the love of money is the root of all evil. Balaam was a lover of money. Because of this, he wandered off the right road. What was he able to do? What did he want to do? Because of his love for money. In Jude 1.11, what sorrow awaits them? For they follow the footsteps of Cain who killed his brother. Like Balaam, they deceive people for money. You know, when a person loves money, it can sometimes cause them to deceive people. This is why Balaam and his love for money, he fell off the right path. And if we are to learn from Balaam, we need to look at what are the results when people fall in love with money. Because Balaam's love for money caused him to do what? Number one, to compromise the will of God. Remember, God showed him his will. God met him that night and said, do not go with these people. But he compromised the will of God, right? And so that's what money does. It causes us to compromise the will of God. What else? It makes us spiritually dull. Even the donkey can see the movement and the action and the will of Yahuwah God, but he could not, right? And a lot of people are like that. They cannot see the work of God. They cannot see the difference between right and wrong because they're spiritually dull. Why? Because their love for money has dulled their spiritual senses. What else? Being an instrument for wrong doing. 
Because when a person loves money, it becomes temptation to do even that which is against the will of God. And so they end up doing what is wrong. And so Apostle Paul warns us about money. 6, 9 to 10, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And this is what happened to Balaam. And this is what happens to many people, including people who want to do good, including people who practice, quote, unquote, a religion, including people who set up certain ideas and make it sound spiritual. Because there are people nowadays who use the, the banner of Christianity and preach and proclaim to the people, if you are true follower of your king, because they call Yahusha the king, right? Christ is king. If you are, if you belong to your king, then you're going to be rich. It's a prosperity gospel. If you are not rich, you are not a true son and daughter of God. Look at Abraham, right? That's what they say. Abraham was rich. I mean, how about the apostles? How about Yahushua himself? Did he have a lot of material things? <laughs> you know, brethren, when people... When people say those things, it is very, very dangerous because it causes you to love money. And when you love money, it's the root of all kinds of evil because you get into this temptation and you get yourself caught up in a trap and you end up wandering from the faith and you pierce yourselves with many griefs because the love of money, it clouds our judgment. We no longer see that what we're doing is already wrong and against the we love. God. So be careful, brethren. Do not let people tell you because you are a follower of God, you have to be materially rich. Is it wrong to be materially rich? No. But don't pursue the love of money because it will lead to so much pain. This is a true saying. It was manifested long ago. It's happening right now. That's what we can learn from Balaam. Well, how about Balak? What can we learn from Balak? You know, we look at Balak's strategy. Balak, what did he want to do? He wanted to curse Israel. Notice his strategy. He acted swiftly. No time for wasting. That's why when Balaam came, he swiftly met him. He got off his throne and he met him. He acted swiftly. Balak used all of his resources, his money, his kingdom, his officials, Everything that at was his disposal, he used it. What else? He was persistent. You notice he did not give up right away. He kept going and going, rejected, kept going and going. He does not stop. What else? Balak looked for opportunities. That's why he told Balaam, let's go to this mountain. Let's go to that other place. Look at it from this point of view. He's looking for opportunities to destroy and to curse the people of Israel. I want you to look at Balak's strategy. And I want you to think about this, brethren. Who also is following that strategy to destroy and curse the people of God? Huh? Who do you think? Because back then, that had to be destroyed for the people of Israel, right? You know whose strategy this is? Because we're looking at Balak and we're just thinking of Balak. 
But if there's one thing we need to learn from the Bible, behind every individual act, there's an invisible presence that moves and motivates people. You believe that? Right? Balak's strategy is actually whose strategy? It's Satan's strategy. This is what he also does. And who will be his targets? Those who are doing the will of God. This is why, brethren, we have to be careful. We have become the target of the adversary. We have become the target of the enemy. And so what will he do? What will he do? Especially now when he knows he only has limited time left. He will act swiftly. He will use all his resources. He has demons who follow him, right? He will be persistent. If he doesn't defeat us once, he'll try again and again. What will he look for? Opportunities, moments of weakness. This is the strategy of the enemy because he wants to derail the assembly of Yahushua, which has been ordained to be witnesses for Yahuwah and Yahushua to proclaim the gospel of the living Christ. We're doing that work. He doesn't want that work to be done. And he will do his best to destroy us. However, we have someone protecting us. Who is that? First Peter 5, 8 to 9. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Yes, we know the enemy, the adversary, the devil himself. He's prowling, roaring like a, like a lion, looking for people to devour. We are the people he wants to devour and destroy. And when we look at our abilities and capabilities, brethren, who are we to stand against the devil? We cannot beat the devil on our own, right? We cannot. This is why when we go through situations in our life, especially sufferings, because oftentimes that is the opportunity that the devil will pounce on when we go through sufferings, like a pandemic. Look at what he's doing during the pandemic. He's causing so much pain. He likes that. And he will use it against us too. When we go through suffering, it's an opening for the devil. And he will take advantage of that. He will act swiftly. He will use his resources. He will not give up. It's a good thing. We have God who protects us. And so how can we receive this protection from God? Let us humble ourselves. And give to the Father our anxiety. Because he cares for us. He will protect us from this evil scheme. Just like he protected the people of Israel from Balak. Hiring Balaam. Do you know how Balak or Yahuwah God protected us from Balak hiring Balaam to curse Israel? <laughs> Remember the first attempt? He hired Balaam, curse Israel. What did Balak, what did Balaam say? What came out from his mouth? Israel cannot be cursed. Doesn't give up. Second attempt. What came out of his mouth? What came out of his mouth? Israel was blessed. Right? The third attempt. 
What happened? Balak ended up being cursed. You see how it got worse and worse for Balak? But the most beautiful part of all was message number four. Yeah. I don't know if you caught it. Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel, but Yahuwah God used Balak and Balaam to announce this message that hopefully you were able to pick up. What was that? Israel will be blessed with the Messiah. Did you get that in the fourth message? What was the fourth message right there? I see him, verse 17, but not here and now. Right? Balaam saw someone, but he's not here yet. I perceive him, but he's so far in the distant future. You see that? There's someone coming from Israel. He's not yet there during that time, but he will come because he will be still far in the distant future. And this one who is to come, Bible says, Balaam says he's like a star that will rise from Jacob, a scepter that will emerge from Israel, a ruler that will rise in Jacob. Who is that? Who is that? The one who will come to rule from Jacob, who has a scepter and who is a star. Who is that? Luke 132, he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end when a scepter is being spoken of. Who, who, where do scepters belong? A king. Is there a king that is going to come? Yes. The son of the most high. His throne will be the throne of David that will be given to him. And his throne and kingdom will never end. Who was that? Given the throne of David. Revelation 22. I, the Christ, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright morning star. So he's the scepter, the star, right? What else? Revelation 5, 5, but one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping. Look, the line of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. He is worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. Who is this ruler that will come from Judah? Yahusha, our king. And so the ruler from Judah, the star, the scepter, who was that? This king to come. Yahusha. Hamashiach. Isn't that ironic? Balak hires Balaam to curse Israel. And Yahuwah God used that as a platform to announce to them the coming of Israel's king. Who is that? Yahushua. But I don't see that as a negative for Moab. I see that as Yahuwah's way of bringing Moab to recognize Mashiach, right? As a way to bring Moab to be with Israel. The truth is, brethren, the Moabites should not have been concerned with Israel conquering them at all. They were terrified when they saw Israel conquer Assyria, the uh, 
the Amorites. But they should not have been afraid of Israel conquering them. You know why? Because Yahuwah God gave a message to Moses. Do you know what Yahuwah said to Moses? This is what he said in Deuteronomy 2.9. Yahuwah said to me, don't trouble the people of Moab. Why? The descendants of Lot or start a war against them. I have given them the city of Ar and I am not going to give you any of their land. And so basically God told Moses, don't mess with the Moabites. We are the descendants of Lot, the nephew of my friend, Abraham. Perhaps Jehovah God had other plans. Maybe that's the reason why. Because perhaps in the beginning of this study, we were thinking, why would Yahuwah God even use Balak and Balaam, right? It is so that he can use them to spread the message of his plan, right? About what? About Israel and about the coming king, the Messiah, that will come from Israel. But here's the best part, brethren. Here's the best part of this study tonight. Because we studied Numbers chapter 22, 23, and 24. Have you noticed in this study of Numbers 22, 23, 24? Have you noticed something here? In this three chapters that we studied, the people of Israel had no idea this was all going on. Did they? <laughs> Did they have any idea this was going on? No. This was all happening unbeknownst to them. They had no idea. Israel had no idea that Yahuwah God just protected them from Balak and Balaam. Which is a question I want to ask all of us tonight. The question is this. I wonder... I wonder, how often does Yahuwah God protect us and we're not even aware of it? Because we always pray to God. We say, thank you, Father, because you did this. Thank you for doing this. I wonder what he has done for us, how he has blessed us, how he has given us, how he has protected us. And we had no idea that all along, behind the scenes, Yahuwah God is doing all of this for us. This is why, brethren, it's best to trust him. During days of sadness, during days of trials, during times of Job-like proportions, let us place our trust in Yahuwah. Why? Allow me to read the final passage of our studies. Psalms 121, 1 to 3. I look up to the mountains. Does my help come from there? My help comes from Yahuwah, who made heaven and earth. He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Yahuwah himself watches over you. Yahuwah stands beside you as your protective shade. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon at night. Yahuwah keeps you from all harm and watches over your life. Yahuwah keeps watch over you. 
as you come and go both now and forever. That is a true saying, brethren. The Bible says, Yahuwah does not slumber. The people of Israel, during that whole timeline of Balak and Balaam, they slumbered, they ate, they walked, they talked. But they had no idea what was happening, the danger that they were facing. But Yahuwah God does not slumber. And he knows and sees all things. And he's telling us that he watches over us, his people. Our help comes from him. He will watch over us as we come and go both now and forever. This is why, brethren, there's no reason for us to be afraid. We don't know what's going to happen in 2021. Do we? Do we know what's going to happen in 2022? No. But do you know who does? Yahuwah God does. He can see hidden dangers. He can see everything. And brethren, it is best for us to go to him, to be with him. Because when he is with us, who can be against us? Brethren, the one who watches over us, always keep in mind, he does not sleep. The one who made heaven and earth cares for us that much. There's no reason for us to be afraid. Rather, let us place our complete hope and trust in Yahuwah our God. Let us stand, brethren, and we shall pray. Almighty Yahuwah Abba, yes, our God, our help, yes, our protection Amen. comes from you. Amen. We would not want it any other way. Yes, we want you and you alone. Amen. You are so good. Yes, you do things that we are not aware of. Yes, you protect us from so much danger. Yes, we do not see what you see. Amen. We do not know what you know. Yes. And so we promise you, Father, we will trust you. Yes. We will acknowledge you in everything we do. Amen. We will consult with you and find out your will. Yes. We will not compromise that will whatsoever. Yes. We will say amen. We will say yes to you. Yes. Even if it seems illogical according to our minds. Yes. Because we know, Father. When it comes to your care and protection, yes. can never, ever be beaten. Amen. You are our defender and protector. Yes. Please, Father, watch over us. Yes. You never slumber. You never sleep. Yes. You watch over our coming and going yes. now and forever. And so we firmly believe our steps have been ordained by you. Yes. Whatever may be your purpose. May we be your instruments. Yes. Help us to do your will every single day in our life. Amen. Father, remember your people who yes. are going through difficult times. Yes. We place our hope and trust in you. Yes. Our help comes from you. Yes. Help us, almighty Abba. Amen. Help us every day. Do the same for our loved ones, our children. Yes. We ask and beg you, open our eyes every day. Yes. Help us to have discernment. That we may be able to see you working in the lives of people. Yes. Working in our own lives. Amen. We will never forget you. What you have done for us in the past. Yes. How you have protected and provided. We will remember you yes. always in our life. Yahushua, our king. Yes. Indeed, you are the Mashiach. Yes. 
foretold long ago. You are our savior and king. Yes. May you always be in our minds that we can be like you always yes. and be able to complete our race and meet you face to face at your glorious appearing. Amen. Help us to endure until the end. Walk yes. with us, walk by us, always strengthen us. Yes. Take hold of our hand and comfort us and give us the strength we need. Amen. Thank you, Father, for listening to our prayers. Yes, Thank you for blessing your people. Thank you for guarding our steps. Yes. We ask and beg everything, loving Abba, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahushua HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.